Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Luke, chapter 6, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Now the Dead Sea has an inlet, but it does not have an outlet. And because it doesn't have an outlet, everything in the Dead Sea is dead. Nothing is living in the Dead Sea, and nothing around the Dead Sea is living. Everything in it is dead. I've showed you guys, some of y'all have been around here for, I don't know, maybe seven, eight, ten years, maybe, you know. I've shown you pictures of me in the Dead Sea. In the Dead Sea, everything is dead. There's so much, I want to say, somebody told me it was like 25% salt deposit. And then they have other minerals in it. As a matter of fact, it's so, so many minerals and salt deposits that you cannot drown in the Dead Sea. You can't go underwater and stay because you just buoy up. As a matter of fact, I took a picture some years ago, showed it to the church of me in the Dead Sea, laying on my back, reading a newspaper. That was when I had hair, luscious, beautiful hair then. You can tell that was a really long time ago. But nothing lives in the Dead Sea because there is no outlet. Saints, it is important. Christian, listen, if your life is boring, if you think the Christian life is boring, are you listening? If you think the Christian life is boring, You feel bored, like nothing's going on, nothing's happening. Listen, I'm going to just ask you to just check this one area. Is there an inlet and an outlet in your life? The inlet is coming to church. I'm sure that's your inlet. You come to church, you hear the word of God, you're getting stronger in the word of God. That is a good thing, but you can't just kind of get spiritually fat on the word of God. I'm just trying to help you. You can't just get spiritually obese on the Word of God. So many Christians are spiritually obese on God's Word. You have no outlet. You've got to find an outlet, someone to disciple, someone to pour into. Maybe they're at work. Maybe they're at school. Maybe they are your neighbor. Whomever they are, find the dog. I used to preach to my dog. Practice my sermon on my dog. Trying to teach him to say amen, hallelujah. He never really got that. You got to have an outlet, and that keeps you fresh. That keeps things coming in and going out. You would be surprised what that will do for your Christianity as there is an inlet and an outlet. And if you don't have an inlet and an outlet, things will get stale. Things will get stale and stuff will die. There's your sermon title today, You're Gonna Die. It's true. You need that inlet and you need that outlet. Now, in our text, these learners, listen, 
are now going to become ambassadors. They've been spending time with Jesus. Jesus is going to call them. They're going to spend time with him, and then he'll send them out. Jesus takes 12 of them. Look at verse 14. The very first one he calls is who, saints? Who is it? I can't hear you. Simon. There you go. Simon is also called what? Peter. Very good. Everybody likes Peter because we can all relate to Peter. Peter was impulsive. Peter couldn't wait for things to happen. He had to make it happen. Peter always said the wrong thing at the wrong time. Somebody once said that Peter had the foot in mouth disease because he always said the wrong thing at the wrong time. Peter would make promises that he couldn't keep. He said, Lord, if everyone forsakes you, you can count on me. I will never leave you or forsake you, Peter said. And I'm sure that Jesus pulled Peter to the side and said, hey, Pete, yo, come here, bro. Uh, that whole thing of never leave you or forsake you, that's my line. <laughs> that, that's what I say. Like, oh, okay, sorry about that. Sorry about that. Uh, you remember Peter when Jesus told his disciples that, that he was going to die. And it was Peter who pulls Jesus to the side and says, don't say that. You're not going to die. You don't, you don't need to go to the cross. It was Peter who was prideful. Peter was self-dependent. Peter denied the Lord three times. Peter is the kind of guy who would say, ready, aim, fire. Ready, aim, fire. You remember they were in the Garden of Gethsemane. They came to get Jesus. You know that story. And they woke Peter up. Don't, don't, I tell you, I'm going to tell you, look, let me get your heads up. Don't, don't wake someone up out of a deep sleep because you might get killed. I mean, really, it's not a good thing. So they wake Peter up. And Peter wakes up. He's all in a groggy mood. Ah, ah, ah. He takes his sword out. And he just, Peter just starts swinging, probably eyes closed, just starts swinging. And he cut off Malchus' ear. And, and Jesus, I would have to have a DVD of that. Jesus picks up the ear. He probably looked at holding the ear, looking at Peter going, man, that's one, you know. Like, <laughs> then he puts it back on and heals the man. And Peter was just kind of an impetuous guy. Everyone can relate to Peter. And a very interesting thing, knowing all these things about Peter, Jesus still chose him to be a disciple. Even changed his name, Jesus did. His name was Simon, which means, if you're taking notes, shifting one. And Jesus gave him the name Peter, which means stable one. You see, Jesus renamed Peter. Watch this. You're going to love it. Jesus renamed Peter because he reformed Peter. Jesus renames you because he reformed you. You used to be a child of the devil, and now you are a child of God. You used to walk in darkness, but now you're walking in the light. Jesus changes you, and Jesus reforms you as well. Jesus changed Peter's name because he reformed Peter, and his transformation was dramatic. You look at the life of Peter, pre descending of the Holy Spirit. And you see a guy who was impetuous, who was quick to get angry, just kind of a rough and tough kind of fisherman guy, always just kind of rogue and doing his own thing. When the Holy Spirit descended in Acts chapter 2, you see a completely different Peter from that point on. Very interesting. God changed him. 
God reformed him. And then notice also in verse 14, let's move ahead. You have Andrew, which is Peter's brother. If you're taking notes, Andrew means manliness. And Andrew is very different than Peter. He's quiet. He's shy. He just hangs out in the background in the shadows of Peter, if you will. And this tells us that Jesus uses different personalities, doesn't it? Jesus doesn't only choose the outgoing and the -the over-the-top personalities, but he chooses quiet people as well. And then we have James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and they were called, anybody know? They were also called the sons of thunder. Anybody know who gave them that name? It was Jesus who gave them that name. Oh, you might remember the story. Jesus was doing ministry and the people weren't responding the way that James and John thought that they should. So then they went to Jesus and they said, Jesus, the people aren't listening. Let's call down fire from heaven and burn them up. (laughs) And Jesus said, whoa, man, lighten up. I came to save people, not scorch them. And Jesus at that time, I believe humorously, gave them the name, the sons of thunder. But it's very interesting that John, listen, He went on to become the disciple that Jesus loved. We know that John loved Jesus because at the table of the Lord, the Bible tells us, and what I wouldn't give to have this DVD, of John, a grown man, sitting next to Jesus and just taking his head and just putting it on Jesus' chest. Something as simple as that. John loved Jesus, so much so that for him, it wasn't embarrassing to put his head on the chest of another man. He loved Jesus. And then John went on to become the writer of five New Testament books. You have the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and anybody know? the book of Revelation, of course you know. And then James became the first martyr of the early church as he was beheaded by King Agrippa. Acts chapter 12, verse 2, you will find that. Also notice Philip in verse 14. Philip, the Bible tells us as you learn and you look at the life of Philip, you learn that Philip was a skeptic. And then also Bartholomew. Bartholomew, you'll find his name as Nathaniel in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, if you read the Gospels, you'll see that it was Nathaniel who went to Philip and said, you will not believe what happened to me today. I met God. I met the Messiah. And it was Bartholomew, remember, or Nathaniel who said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That was Nathaniel. And then Matthew in our text, Matthew, he was, we've been talking about Matthew for weeks now. He was, what was his profession? Anybody know? Very good. He was a tax collector, and you know that tax collectors were rip-off artists. And they were hated by the Jews because they worked for Rome. And very interesting, Jesus calls a hated tax collector into the ministry. And then you have Thomas. Are you checking with me in verse 15? Then you have Thomas. Many of us know him as doubting Thomas. I think Thomas, listen, give me your attention. I think Thomas gets a bad rap. Thomas was a doubter. Thomas was a skeptic. But Thomas was not an unbeliever. 
Do you understand that there is a difference between skepticism and unbelief? If you understand that you know there's a difference, please wave at me. There is a difference between skepticism and unbelief. Every Christian, to some degree, ought to be a skeptic. The Bible tells us to be like the Bereans and search the scriptures. Do y'all know this one? Search the scriptures to see if these things are so. That's skepticism. You should be a skeptic when I am preaching. You should write down. That's why I have you take notes. I don't have you take notes to keep you occupied. I have you take notes because you should take those notes and go home and search the scriptures. If I tell you that Acts chapter 12 verse 2 tells us that James was beheaded by King Agrippa, then you should be able to go to Acts 12 too and see that. Are you with me? Are you with me? So we should all be skeptics. There is a difference between skepticism and unbelief. Listen, a skeptic can't believe. An unbeliever won't believe. A skeptic is honest. An unbeliever is stubborn. A skeptic is looking for light, and an unbeliever is content in darkness. A skeptic, listen, is one who, you they're skeptical. So you take them to the scriptures. Why do you believe what you believe? You take them to the scriptures here and here and here. And I believe that because this says this. And I believe that because this says this. And because of all of these things, this equals this. And a skeptic will look at that and say, hmm, I need to go away and think about that. That makes sense. Don't y'all know the Bible makes sense? This book, by the way, is the only book that really makes any real sense worthy of reading. That's my opinion. I'm only here. Yeah, okay. All right, 10 of y'all agree with that, but that's okay. The Bible makes sense. And a skeptic will listen to you and then go away and think about what you said and possibly become a believer just like Thomas. Thomas, I don't believe he rose again. Yeah, Jesus rose again. He really did. He rose again from the grave. I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. Jesus came walking through a skeptic. Jesus came walking through, through the wall. Don't you love it? He came walking through the wall. You know you're bad when you come walk through the wall now. (laughs) Jesus came walking in. He walked up to Thomas and said, Thomas, take your fingers and stick them into my hand and take your hand and put it into my side. And Thomas, don't be a skeptic, but believing. Thomas was a skeptic. And I love Thomas. He is actually one of my favorite Bible characters. And I'm thankful for Thomas and his skepticism. Because it is because of Thomas, don't you remember the story, as the Jesus was gathered in the upper room, he's telling his disciples that he's going to leave and that where he was going, they know the way and and, and what he was going to do, they know what he was going to do. And it was Thomas who looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, we don't know what you're talking about, John chapter 14. Jesus, we do not know what you're talking about. We don't know where you're going and we have no idea how to get there. And I'm sure the other disciples were sitting there and Jesus is like, well, the way you know and where I'm going, thou knowest. And the way that you know the way and other disciples are like, yes, 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 we know. Yes, yes, yes. And Thomas is like, am I the only one in this? Jesus, we don't know what you're talking about. And, and at that point, 
And at that point, it was when Jesus said at that point, I am the way, John 14, 6, say it with me, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Do you understand? We would not have that verse if it were not for Thomas. I'm thankful for Thomas. He was a skeptic. And because of his skepticism, he cleared a lot of stuff up. I'm going to tell you something, because I'd have been sitting there and Jesus saying, where I'm going, thou knowest the way, and what I'm going to do, you know what I'm going to do. I probably would have been like, you know what, Jesus, I'm with Thomas. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I'm, I'm, that's me. I don't get it. Maybe they get it. Maybe they're more spiritual than I am, but I, I, I just don't, I don't get it. I'm not that quick. I'm not that smart, really. You're going to break it down for me. And Jesus said, okay, I will. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Thomas was not a disbeliever. Thomas was a doubter, and Thomas was a skeptic, and Thomas was uh, honest. And then we have, let's move forward. Then we have this guy by the name of James, the son of Alphaeus. Listen, I did some serious, extensive research here on this, and what I've come to learn is that James is the son of Alphaeus. And then we have Simon. That's the best I could do with that one. And then maybe y'all can do better. I told y'all I'm not that quick, so maybe you can do better. But. And then we have Simon. Look at it in your Bibles in verse 15. Simon called the Zealot, or Simon Zelotes is how you pronounce it, actually. Now, Simon, and listen, a Zealot, Simon the Zealot, a Zealot was someone who was a nonconformist. Zealots were political nationalists who hated Romans and especially hated tax collectors. And if you put a tax collector and a zealot in the room together, that would be like putting an Israeli freedom fighter and the PLO together. In those days, zealots were called, watch this, daggermen. Daggermen. Everyone knew them as daggermen. And the reason is because they hated Rome so much that when the Romans would gather together in these crowds, these zealots would go in to the crowds of Romans gathered together, take out these little knives that they carry, and they would stick them in the Romans. Don't you find it interesting that Jesus calls this kind of guy to be one of his disciples? And then, listen, finally, he chooses Judas Iscariot. I told you that Thomas is one of my favorite Bible characters. And Judas, to me, is one of the most interesting Bible characters. Here's why. Because Judas, listen... He heard the same sermons as everyone else heard. Judas saw the same miracles that everyone else saw. He saw the feeding of the 5,000. He saw people touch Jesus and walk away healed. He saw demons cast out. He sat in the best Bible study ever. And that would be the one that Jesus is teaching. Don't you understand He's in the best Bible study ever. I don't care how great a Bible teacher you think you are. Jesus is better. Let's say amen. Amen. And Judas sat in those Bible studies. Judas sat around the table of the Lord 
in communion with everyone else. So he had the same experience as all the other disciples. And yet I find it fascinating that Judas walked away unchanged and unaffected. And all the other disciples walked away changed and affected, so much so that they all, underscore, all died a martyr's death. That's fascinating. Even in a room this vast, some of you will walk away unchanged and unaffected and go, oh, well, that was, that was, a, that was a nice talk. And some of you will walk away and say, God used my life. God changed my life. God hears my life. Some of you will walk away affected, so much so that your life will be forever changed as a result of being in church today. And some walk away unaffected, not changed at all. Isn't that interesting? And yet at the same time, we all have the same experience. We all worship. We all sang to Jesus. We all sang the same songs. We all heard the same sermon. Some will walk away unaffected. That was Judas. Jesus calls these men ordinary, common, blue-collar workers to serve him. I don't know about you, but I'm glad about that. Because I was one of them. You should clap your hands because you're one of them too. None of these guys... None of these guys are the who's who. You wouldn't look in the magazine, in People magazine, and find these guys. They're not the who's who. They're more like the who's them. You look in a church like this. Our church is not the who. Nobody in here is the who's who. Who's the who's who in here? None of us. Most of us, we look to the right, look to the left, and go, what's up with them? None of us. We're all common people. Just seeking to know the Lord. Jesus uses common, ordinary people. Don't misunderstand me. If you have a degree or you have an MDiv, that's a master's in divinity, or you have a doctorate in divinity, you've been to seminary or you've been to Bible college, that's all fine. But don't look to those things and think because I have these things, this makes me usable to God. Did you hear me? Because those things do not make you usable to God. What makes you usable to God is that you have submitted your life to him. The power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you and that he has sent you. That's what makes you usable to God. That he has called you and that he has sent you. It was somebody who once said, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. I, me too. That's why I said it. Amen. I like it a lot. You know why I like it? Because that's me. I'm not qualified to be here. My mom's sitting right here on the front row. She'll tell you, I just barely got through 12th grade. She'll tell you. I was not a great student. I didn't like to read. I remember my mom had to make me learn my timetables. Remember that? She's like, yeah, I remember. She had to make me learn my timetable. I hated math. And I hated learning timetable like seven times two is 14. Seven times one is seven. I hated it. And I was a terrible student. And who would have ever thought 
that God would take somebody like me who was a bad student, who I didn't like to read, and I didn't like math, and I didn't like school, and I really didn't like education. Who would have thought that God would have taken someone like me and used me? And now I, I, I actually like reading, and I like to learn, and I like new things. And, and believe it or not, I'm not that bad at math anymore. So... But God just renews everything when you give your life to him. Isn't that true? You should clap your hands. You should be happy about that. You need to be happy about that. God will just renew everything. God takes common, ordinary men here in our word, and he changes the whole world, and he changes the world right side up, and he did it without buildings, without buses and budgets, and without people posturing and programs, and without PowerPoint, and he did it without all the accoutrements and the things that the world thinks are important in order for church growth. Church does not grow with how people have determined the demographics of how church grows. That is not how church grows. Church grows because the Lord adds to it daily such as should be saved. That's how church grows. That's how this church grew. That's how this church grew. God added to the church. And we have to let the Lord do what God's going to do. But we have to let him do it, and he's going to do it by his word, and he's going to do it because the Spirit of God has come upon you and anointed you to do the work. And God wants to use every single one of us in some place in the body of Christ. He wants to use you and your gift for our good and for his glory. And he can do it. He wants to do it. But you've got to ask him to do it. You don't have to be trained. A lot of people, you know how many people do not serve the Lord because they're not trained? People have told me that. Well, I don't have any training. I'm like, well, welcome to the club. Me neither. I don't have any training. But... God has done the work. And if you let him do it, he will do it in you. What he did for me and what he has done for others, he will do for you. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.